months, whatever, 16 months into the life of this brand new church that wasn't here a year and a half ago, we're already sending a second team, a second international mission trip out there. And I really think that that's reason to give praise to God and be grateful and be thankful that, that we have that opportunity that we're not just paying lip service to the gospel and to the Great Commission, but that we are proactively actively engaged in taking the gospel to the world there there are a lot of churches that sit by for one two three ten years or more and they give a lot of talk a lot of rhetoric a lot of a lot of speech talk a lot of churchy talk about this and that and the other uh so i'm grateful that we are a church that are completely committed to the great commission and it's not only that we're going on our second trip and it's not only that eight people which is more than we sent last year are going but check this out the total cost of the trip is $12,856 and some change. That's the air flight, that's the lodging, that's the food, it, transportation in country. Almost $13,000. To date, Anthemers, you guys have given uh, about $8,800. So two-thirds of the money has been raised by you, has been given by you on top of your normal giving and tithe. So the cost per person is 1607 so as of right now if no one gave any more toward the trip we're only having to come out of pocket 507 dollars that's a huge deal so praise god thank you to all of you who have given so generously to to make this possible i will say this that our goal was to keep it to 450 dollars per person and we would have uh, we would have hit that goal and then some if not for the fact that flights are way more expensive than they have ever been it's $200 more per person than at any time in in the that I've been to Haiti we would have obliterated our goal if not for that so here's my ask my plea my encouragement my begging if if there's any way you could dig down deep just a little bit more and help to to subsidize the trip just a little bit more and the reason why is this those of us who are going we had to get passports and renew passports we have to get our immunizations up to up to speed we have to buy special sweat wicking clothing because it's so hot down there we have to get uh prescriptions like a cipro antibiotic prescription so there's additional cost to that 507 that i just mentioned so any amount that helps to minimize like those of us who are going because we're giving up vacation time and we're giving up family time there's there's a couple of guys that literally just had babies in the last week or two and they're going on a trip they're giving up their time and their wives are sacrificing their husbands going so anything that we could do to help support the trip would be greatly appreciated please all right this is my fifth time going to haiti I went for the first time in uh, 2010, and it was right after that 7.0 magnitude earthquake devastated that small little nation down there. And, and I remember the week that it, that it happened, I was sitting in my office, in, in my home office, doing who knows what, and I had the TV on, and it was on one of the, the cable news networks, and this news starts coming by that a 7.0 earthquake hits this tiny tiny nation and the news is coming in and I remember barely looking up and it barely registered with me what had happened like I almost didn't take any notice of it and day two day three and now the news is piling up the body count is rising 
And as we now know, that earthquake claimed at least 300,000 lives. It's so many lives so quickly, they don't really know. But they estimate 300,000 people lost their lives in those few seconds. And it was about day four of having what just background noise. I finally stopped from my busy life and my busy schedule, my busyness, and I stopped long enough to pay attention and actually look at the screen and see what was happening. And I started crying. And in that first moment that I started weeping and I went down to my knees, I wasn't weeping so much because of what had just happened in the thousands who were dead. I was crying because of the coldness of my own heart. How could I be so dispassionate and uncaring? How could I possibly, how could I be so cold and callous that hundreds of thousands of people are dead? Spouses are widowed. Children are orphaned. Homes are destroyed. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people are injured. A nation is laid to waste. And I'm sitting in my comfortable, air-conditioned office, completely undaunted by the suffering of so many people. And I went on my knees, and I'm grieving, weeping, confessing to God just how cold my heart is and doing as much as I can to repent of my lack of compassion. And however long I happened to be on my knees on that particular day, by the time I got up, something had changed. And it wasn't only that I was filled with a pity for what was going down there. I was genuinely filled with a need to have to go down there and do whatever little I could to help in some form or fashion to help those, those people out. And so what, what happened was that me and three others, we got on a plane, and we went down there. And it is hard to describe what it is that we saw. And we weren't there immediately after, but it was close enough, too. It's hard to describe what we saw and what we experienced. That first trip down there is, is completely different than any of my other trips to Haiti. To see what, in essence, were a million people, if not more, living in tent cities, acres, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of acres filled tent to tent. And when I call it, when I'm calling a tent, it's what we would consider a tarp held together by sticks, put up by sticks, and whole families living under these tents, no plumbing, no running water, no electricity, no uh, sanitary uh, trash man coming to pick anything up they're virtually living in a landfill of their own waste and i'm spent a week there next to these folks side by side them talking to them building temporary shelters these like two these 10 by 10 structures made out of two by fours wrapped in a tarp with a tin roof which by comparison to what they were living in was a mansion but i tell you folks most americans would not consider that worthy of their dog and I spent this week with them side by side in the heat working with them, talking to them they were so grateful for what we were doing and I'm sharing the gospel we had translators sharing the gospel praying with them and that week changed something in me like 
that trip was more help to me than I, whatever help I may have been in building some temporary shelters to any people. It helped me more than I realized that I needed help for because what it did is that it taught me a very important lesson. And that is, before we can live lives of compassion, our eyes must first be opened. Before we can live lives of compassion, our lives must first be opened. That trip helped to open my eyes to start feeling a little bit more compassion to people who are in need. And I am far from cured. I am far from arrived. I am still an extremely selfish and self-centered and me-focused individual. But God taught me a major lesson that by his grace I will grow in as I live the rest of my days out. And that is that before we can live lives of compassion, our eyes must first be opened. So if you have your Bible with you, Uh, Please turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. And we're looking at Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to look at verses 35 through 38. We're concluding a sermon series that we have entitled Compassion. And the reason we entitled this Compassion, we've been working our way through Matthew chapter 9. And this chapter just is a, a wealth of knowledge as to the compassion that God has toward us. And it gives us a wealth, a wealth of application as to what it means for us to live a life of compassion. So again, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. And, and there's really two main things that I want us to see this morning in this text. And that is, number one, compassion requires eyes. It requires us seeing. Before we can live lives of compassion, your eyes must first be open. So compassion requires eyes. And the second thing we need to see is that compassion requires action. It requires action, doing something. So we must see and we must do. So let's go ahead and begin and let's get into the text. So, but we're going to start at verse 36 this morning. Chapter 9, verse 36. It says, seeing, seeing, again, seeing, The people, he, meaning Jesus, so seeing the people, Jesus felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus, seeing the people, felt compassion for the people. So there you go. Right there it is, right off the get-go. Seeing comes before compassion. Seeing comes before compassion. Look at the previous verse. Now back up to verse 35. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So what this tells us in verse 35 is that Jesus is among people, right? He's with people. Among the people, with people. He's traveling from town to town. He's going to where folks are. And and what you have to understand is that that is, in fact, what his mission was. His mission was people. His mission was to be around people. His mission was to help people. Jesus wasn't some, like, religious pontiff, some religious leader sitting in some ivory tower just throwing out these religious platitudes and sentiments. He wasn't sitting in some office somewhere, like, mad tweeting about this. He wasn't in his mother's basement blogging about how things should be. He was actually with individuals neck deep in people's business. And what he saw when he was among the people was the truth. 
And the truth is that people are distressed and dispirited. It's what verse 36 says. He saw the people, had compassion on them. Why? Because they are distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. The words distressed and dispirited there, let me, let me explain or unpack what those mean. The word distressed means harassed, mangled, abused, beat down. The word dispirited means dejected, despondent, depressed cast down so this is what jesus saw he's among the people and what he saw was a bunch of people that had been beat up and now they're beat down abused harassed and mangled preyed upon and now they're down and out they're despondent they're depressed and so jesus knows the truth about human life and he knows the truth about your life and my life despite our best efforts to put on a happy face, right? Despite our best efforts to turn that frown upside down, despite our best efforts to make it seem on the outside like everything is calm and cool and great and everything is wonderful, Jesus knows the truth. And he knows that we are distressed and dispirited. And the fact is, we don't have to be a Haitian to be distressed and to be dispirited. We don't have to have gone through a 7.0, zero magnitude earthquake to be distressed and dispirited jesus knows the truth i i know enough of the truth i i do serve as a pastor i talk to a lot of people and a lot of people share with me all sorts of stuff and i know that while some of us think that everyone else has it pretty well and we, we you know we're struggle but everyone else has it right listen nothing could be further from the truth dysfunction is the norm dysfunction is the norm in the in the world that we live in i tell you most people most of the time are lonely they're depressed they're heartbroken they're fearful they're worrying they don't know what's what they don't know what's next they are hurting I don't mean to be doom and gloom this morning, but let me tell you, this is the reality of the human condition at this point in time. We're distressed and we're dispirited. And so what is it that we need? If this is true of you and me and all of us, if, we're dis, if we've been like abused and mangled and beat up and we're beat down and downcast and dejected, what is it, in fact, that we need? Well, I know I need a bigger bank account. I need the, the job that gives me more money. I need the promotion. I need a job where I don't have to travel as much or drive as much. That's what I need. I need a job with a better, man, a man, better boss, better manager. That's what I need. I need a bigger checking account. And while some of those things might not be all that bad, and in some ways might be somewhat nicer, let me tell you, that is not what we need. Well, I tell you what I need. I need affordable health care. That's what I need. Well, sure. Who doesn't want free health care? I do. Who doesn't want to pay a cheap premium or no deductible and have really good health care and doctors and stuff? We all want that. But is that really what we need? I mean, really, is, it, is that why we're distressed and dispirited? Because health care is expensive or because we struggle with it? I'll tell you what I need. I need for Netflix to get on their game. I need season two of Marvel's Angels of S.H.I.E.L.D., 
up on Netflix. That's what I need. And, and, and I will admit, it would make my life a little nicer. At least for those few moments that I get to watch the program, it's a good one. But I mean, honestly, I mean, that's not what we need. We don't need entertainment. We don't need distractions from the world. What is it that, that we need? And really, all that we need is God's compassion. We need to draw close to a God who is filled with compassion toward us. What we need is a God who is willing to be our great shepherd. That's what we need. It's, a, it's interesting. What, of all the, the possible illustrations that Jesus could have used to describe the human condition, why did he compare us to sheep? Why sheep? Of all the animals or of all the possible comparisons, why sheep? There's probably three. I mean, I'm going to name three. There may be more. First of all, sheep are defenseless animals. Uh, they're easy prey. They have a lot of predators out in the wild that, that hunt them, that, that track them down. They're not fast. By animal standards, sheep are not fast. They're not quick, mobile. They're, there's not much to sheep. They're not made out of adamantium, so they don't have any natural defenses or anything. Yeah, I got a marbles thing going on, right? <laughs> Dork. All right. They're not fast, they're defenseless, they're vulnerable, they're easy prey. And just know that scripture describes Satan as a roaring lion prowling around looking for people to devour. And we're the prey. We're vulnerable just like sheep are. We're no match for devil and spiritual forces. We can't outwit them. We can't outrun them. We can't outfight them. We are vulnerable like sheep. So what we need is a shepherd that will protect us, that will keep us safe. I, I was reading up on sheep, because I don't know anything about sheep, right? And uh, one thing I read that was really interesting is that sheep will not sleep unless they feel completely safe. And that, you know, sh they're very uh, skimmish type animals. They're, hang they're hanging out, and one leaf falls, and they all bolt. They don't even know what it was. They don't look. They just hear something, and they take off running. They can't lie down at night and actually close their eyes if they think that there's something out there. They're very skittish. And, you know, isn't it the same way with us? How often do you feel unrested and unable to sleep and lacking peace in your life? Well, the only way to rest and to sit down and to lay down and enjoy sleep and rest is to know that there is a God who is watching over you and protecting you. That's what we need. We need a God who will protect us, a compassionate, almighty God to be our shepherd. Sheep, uh, it's not only that they're vulnerable because of predators and they, they lack defenses, they also struggle, number two, they struggle because they're bad, they're poor foragers. They don't do really well out on their own by themselves. Consider where Jesus is talking in Matthew 9 takes place. Israel. Israel is not really well known for its lush grasslands, right? It's an arid, semi-arid, dry climate. It's not known for its roaring prairies, right? It's a far cry from the meadows of the Shire. There's like, it's just no real green. There's no great, wonderful pasture lands out there. And on top of that, sheep, just because they're sheep, and there's a reason we say dumb as a sheep, right? The reason, they don't even, even if there is grass around, they don't know where to go for the good stuff. 
They get distracted by the tumbleweed, and they go after the tumbleweed. They're after stuff that doesn't do them any good. So there's not much of the good stuff, and even where it is, they don't know how to get to it. They don't naturally go to it. And what you end up with are very skinny, malnourished, very unhealthy sheep. So what do they need? They need a shepherd to take them to where they can get the nourishment that they need. And it's the same way with us. We live in a very barren wilderness of a world. This world that we live in is a far cry from the lush scene of Eden. Far cry from that. And we're not good foragers. We're not good foragers. When we're looking to eat stuff, we don't know where the good stuff is. We chase the tumbleweed. Folks, we eat up the lies of this world. We consume wholesale. We consume wholesale, like false teaching, false philosophy that this world throws at us. We swallow it down, secularism, materialism. We just eat it up. And it's no wonder we're so malnourished and so unhealthy, spiritually speaking, so skinny. So what do we need? We need a shepherd that will take us to green pastures. We need a shepherd that is truth and will show us truth. We need a shepherd that will give us his word that will feed, us, or feed our soul. We need a shepherd who will give us wisdom and discernment and understanding. We need a compassionate God who is all wise. That's what we need. Third thing about sheep is that they don't take good care of themselves. Of, again, I was reading all of this. Of all the livestock, sheep are the most high maintenance. Some husbands understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> They're the most high maintenance. I love Jamie. She's so low maintenance. Oh, I love my wife. Anyway. In comparison to other types of livestock, sheep are just hard to take care of. They're, they get sick easily and quickly they're vulnerable to parasites on like a major scale right they require meticulous care and just like hands on constantly so they're sick all the way in the same way we can't take care of ourselves because we have a disease right there's a parasite alive in us and what the scripture call it it's sin Sin is alive in us, and it's eating away at us, and so we're unhealthy. And so sin causes us to make bad decisions, poor decisions, terrible decisions. We go the wrong way. We do the wrong thing. So what do we need? We need a shepherd to come in and heal us from the inside out. We need a shepherd that will begin to remove the parasite, remove the sin, remove the disease. Nurture us. Be a medicine man to us. That's what we need, a compassionate, all-loving God that will take care of us. And we are like sheep when we wander around the world apart from God. We are just like sheep who are dispirited and distressed when we wander in this world apart from God. Because it's out there when we're apart from God that the devil preys on us. It's out there that we're eating the wrong stuff, consuming the wrong li the lies. And number three, we're making the bad decisions because we're plagued by this pestilence of sin. No wonder so many of us are harassed and downcast. No wonder so many of us are distressed and dispirited because we are like sheep without a shepherd or sheep at the very least who've jumped over the fence and gone elsewhere. 
where we're easy prey and where we're vulnerable. What we need is the presence of God in our lives. What we need is the grace of God in our lives. What we need is God to be a shepherd to us and for us to lie down in his pastures, protected by him, provided by him, led by him. And that is precisely what God wants to be to you, to each and every one of us. He wants to be a good shepherd to everyone, to all of you in this room. God wants to be a shepherd to you. He wants to bless you. He wants to protect you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to lead you, guide you, be your strength, be your foundation and your rock. He wants you to claim the words of Psalm 23. Psalm 23, the first three verses are beautiful, and this is what God wants you to be able to say with all your heart. begins this way, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, because the Lord is my shepherd, not a shepherd, not the shepherd, my shepherd, I have no need. I have no want. I have no unmet desire. I have everything that I could possibly want because the Lord is my shepherd and he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He makes me because I'm obstinate. He makes me because I'm a sheep that likes to wander around. So he makes me and praise God that he makes us. Praise God that he makes me to lie down in what? Wilderness? Desert? No. In green pastures in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters, quiet waters, peaceful, restful, burdens removed. He's my shepherd. I'm going to have rest. I'm going to continue. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So he protects, he provides, he makes me lie down. He gives me what I need. He gives me what I want, and he tells me which way to go. Folks, that's what we need. That's what we need. That, that, that is everything that we need. So Jesus is up in heaven, and he's looking down. And he looks down upon us, and he sees that we're distressed and that we're dispirited, and he's filled with compassion. He's filled with compassion toward us, and it's not mere sentiment. It's not just sentiment that he has. It's not just sympathy, but it's intervening love. So Jesus takes action, right? Because compassion requires eyes. It requires seeing, and it requires action and doing, and that's what he did. He didn't just look down from his throne. He came down off of his throne. He took pity on us by becoming like us. To what end? To remove our burdens from us. Folks, that is what compassion is. In great compassion Jesus became the lamb of God that he may become our shepherd that's compassion he who is the ruler of the universe sovereign over everything left the riches of heaven became poor that we might receive the riches of God's glory folks that's compassion that's compassion he who is sinless and righteous and just in every way endured mocking and endured ridicule that we may be adopted into God's family and become co-heirs with him in glory forever. That's compassion. There is no greater compassion than the compassion that Jesus has shown to us. And he gave his life ultimately on that cross that we sing about with all our hearts, right? He gave his life on that cross to remove our guilt and our shame, to remove our sin, to pay the penalty that we could not pay. And in so doing, if we place our faith in him, we are forgiven. 
And through that gate, we then enter God's green pastures. That's compassion. That is what we need to live as God's sheep with him as our shepherd in greens, in greens pastures, God's green pastures. Is there anything else we need? Is there anything else? I say that's all we want. And so if you're here this morning and you're tired of being lonely and you're tired of being depressed and you're tired of worrying and you're tired of the heartache, if you're tired of being a vulnerable sheep out alone getting preyed on by the devil, if you're tired of being this vulnerable sheep that doesn't know where to go for good spiritual nourishment, if you're tired of being a vulnerable sheep who is just controlled by sin, right now, where you sit, you place your faith in Jesus, you believe in him, and you enter through that gate, become a sheep of God. Receive compassion. Embrace the compassion that God has made available to you. Just grab it. Receive it unto yourself. Give your life to Christ. And if you do that, or if you have done that in the past, what do you do going forward? Well, there's only one response to receiving the compassion of God, and that's helping others to receive the compassion of God. If you are a sheep in God's green pasture, be a sheep that helps other sheep to find their way into God's green pasture. Help other sheep to not have to live without a shepherd, but point them toward the shepherd so that they can be sheep with a shepherd. There's only one way to live if, in fact, you have received the compassion of God, and it's just that. And that life, folks, begins by opening up our eyes and seeing. It requires us seeing the people that are around us, the people that God places us in their sphere of life, it requires us opening our eyes and seeing the desperation, the dispirited and the distressed out there and being filled with compassion for those who feel hopeless and helpless. And the way that we begin to open our eyes up in seeing people is by beginning to actually focus on others rather than focusing on ourselves. There, there's a really bad lie. And this is one of the great lies of our time, and it's the teaching that we must first focus on ourselves before we can help anyone else. That is awful, awful, unbiblical theology. That is terrible thinking. Terrible thinking. If God is my shepherd, then I have to trust that he has me in his hands. Why do I need to focus on myself? In fact, to focus on myself is actually lack of faith because, God, you don't know what you're doing. I can do it better. I need more attention than you're giving me, so I'm just going to devote myself to myself. It is a lack of faith. If God is your shepherd, trust him. Let God focus on you. You don't focus on you. Let God focus on you. Let him focus on you. Your role is to focus on others. Focus on other people. So have faith that God is your helper. Have faith that God is your strength. Have faith that God is your provider. Have faith and then step out in that faith and pour yourself out into the lives of others. Nothing good ever happens when we stop to focus on ourselves. 
Nothing good happens there. It is that I need to spend time with myself. It's terrible theology, folks. If you are a believer, God is at work in you, completing the work that he began in you. He's at work in you to both to work and to, to, to work for his good pleasure. Trust him. He knows what he's doing. He has you in his hands. Do your quiet time, pray, read your Bible, rely on God's Holy Spirit, and get out there and pour yourself out into the lives of others. It's counterintuitive. I know that sometimes we get down and we get tired and we get beat up, right? We go through our troubles and our anxiety, and we say, I need a mental health break. I need some retail therapy or whatever the case may be. I need some me time to get straight. And the thing is that the more we do the me time, the worse it actually gets because we perpetuate the problem. What we need to do, we give it to God, get out in front of other people. The best cure to that self-focus is just getting out in front of other people, helping them, praying for them, praying with them, serving. That's the way we get over our own despondency because we can't cure our own no matter what the Eastern religion and pop psychologists of our day have to say. All right. How do we get our eyes off ourselves? We show compassion by seeing, and we have to open our eyes. And I said that compassion requires seeing eyes, and it requires what? Action. Action. So the way that we get our eyes off ourselves is by taking action, and we do so by going, by teaching, proclaiming, praying, and serving. Going, teaching, proclaiming, praying, and serving. Let's back up. I want us to read verse 35, 36, 37, 38, all together right here. Starting in verse 35. Jesus was going through. He was going. There's the first word. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, doing what? Teaching in their synagogues and what? Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And why was he doing that? Verse 36, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest, a.k.a. pray. Pray to God for him to send out what? Workers. Servants. Serve. Right? Pray to God that he would raise up believers who will serve God, serve the gospel, and serve people through Compassion requires seeing, it requires doing, it requires action. Going, teaching, proclaiming, praying, and serving. Let's start with go. Going. Jesus was always on the go. He was always going to where the people were. Always going, always around them, always with them, always among them. He was going town to town, just doing his thing. And the more he was, and, and as he's around people, right, he's seeing and so he's filled with compassion. So that's what we must do. If you're saying, well, I really don't have much compassion for people, then I would ask, go to people. Are you spending enough time with people that you're even aware of their plight, aware of their trouble? So I would say, go to Haiti. If you can't go this year, obviously, next year. Go on an international mission trip. Go to a third world country. Go and see. Go to where people are. Go where the suffering is. And it's not just going somewhere like that, exotic. You need a passport and a visa or anything like that. Go to your neighbor's. Go to where the people are, right? Go to your coworkers. Go to the cubicle that they work in. Go to their office where they work in. Folks, go to your cul-de-sac. This is the modern-day marketplace. It's the cul-de-sac. 
Like, like back in Paul's day, there was like this market square in every city, and that's where everyone hung out all day because they had nothing else to do unless you were a farmer out there with some sheep, right? What are you going to do? Well, let's go sit at the market shop and, and drink some coffee and like, like old people do, and let's just talk all day. Like there was just a place where you hung out. Well, where do people hang out now? Cold sex. Walk the streets of your neighborhood. You may do it for two years, never meet another neighbor, because how do we live nowadays? I'm pulling into my house as fast as my, my garage door can open. I'm going to hit it, get in there quickly, and get it down quickly so I don't have to talk to anyone. So it might take a few years of walking your neighborhood, because maybe you're walking right in the driveway as they're pulling up one day, and you have to stop. Hey, we've never met before. Go to where the people are. I would ask, you know, if you ever have time, go to the local food pantry. Tuesday mornings and Thursday mornings and spend some time there and, and see what it's like to go through those seasons of life. And it's why I've asked our stay-at-home moms, our stay-at-home uh, wives, at least one Thursday, one day out of the month, and it's usually a Thursday, to just go to the park and just go and hang out and let the kids, because kids will make friends with anyone real quick, right? And kids start playing. Guess what the moms and, or the dads have to do? They got to talk too. You got kids who play ball. You got, you got kids who are in dance. You know what? Go to the games. Go to the recitals. Absolutely support your kids. But go with every intention of connecting with those parents that you're there with. Maybe they'll lift their head up just enough from when only their kid's up at bat, right? Away from their iPhone, away from the book that they're reading. And maybe there's an opportunity to connect with that person. And over time, you never know, they may share with you something. Point is, go to where the people are. Show compassion. Go and point people to Jesus. Point them to the great, great, good shepherd. All right. Number two, right, we're to, we're to teach. So we're not only to go to people, we're to teach people, teach them about God's love, teach them God's truth. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20 says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. Teaching means informing. It also means explaining, and it also means persuading. That's what teaching is at the end of the day. It's informing, explaining, persuading, giving a defense for the hope that is in us. That's what teaching is. It's reasoning with people from Scripture, reasoning from Scripture, convincing them, if God would allow, that God loves them, and convincing them that following Christ is by far the better life. That's what teaching is. And we do that through our speaking. Like We've got we to speak biblical, right? But we've got to live biblical, so it's not just our words, but through our lives, our teaching. And it's not just out there, so I'm going to do, do a little commercial right now. So it's not just out there in the world, at work, at play, wherever we are, that we teach. It's also here. We could use small group leaders that can teach a small group. Folks that lead Bible studies. Folks that can teach children on Sunday mornings. Because right, the, the, the truth is that here coming up pretty soon, when, and I mean now, I mean, you see our numbers are down today. Like uh, the summer gets particularly tough on churches. And so we're looking at our Sunday school teacher calendar, and we're looking at it, and it's like, you know what, there are Sundays where we're going to have to suspend Sunday school for, for children. 
And, you know, there are worse things in the world than children being in here. They can sit through a service. I mean, children do that often, do it all the time. Personally, I believe that our children learn better in an eight, with an age-specific lesson as opposed to hearing me go on for 50 minutes about whatever. They, they can glean stuff. I believe that, but I teach to adults. I'm teaching to teens and higher, right? I believe that they learn better there, but we're struggling to fit all the classrooms. And I, some people, bless their heart, they said, I'll teach every week. No, you won't. I will not allow it because I don't want anyone burned out. People, everyone needs to spend some time in here worshiping and singing, being fed themselves. So maybe, just maybe, God is poking at you a little bit. Will you serve in this way? So if you're a follower of Christ and Anthem Church is your church, would you consider it at least? Would you at least think about it? And before you just say no, maybe just try it out a couple of Sundays. And if teaching is not really your thing, maybe you could be an assistant teacher because that's helping too, right? But just know this, that our children are our greatest mission field. We can go on every international mission trip every week, all year long. We can grow to have thousands of people. We can do ministry out here, there, that. If our children don't grow up disciples of Jesus, we have failed miserably. They are our primary mission field, and we have adults and brothers and sisters that teach them every week, and I'm so grateful for it because it helps me to disciple my own children. So would you consider stepping up, helping out in this way? So we go out there, we teach, we do it here, young and old. The point is that we show compassion when we point people to God's truth, when we point them to the good shepherd. So we go, we teach, we proclaim we proclaim to proclaim means to herald to announce it's telling the good news of jesus and so here's here's what i've come to know that sadly what passes for a lot of church activity in a lot of churches is just simply humanitarianism right it says feed the hungry provide some medical care do a resume workshop all really good things all things that churches should do and need to do and shame on churches for not doing those things to actually help individuals but if that's all we're doing, we're missing it, right? Like our call as Christians and as churches is not to stockpile a food pantry. It is to stockpile the food pantry and to go there and be around the people and use that as an opportunity to herald and proclaim the gospel. That's compassion. That's compassion. What this world needs is for believers to rise up and actually proclaim the gospel and show compassion by telling them that there's a good shepherd that will take care of them. That's what needs to happen. So we go, we teach, we proclaim. The next one is pray. Verse 38, Jesus says that we're to beseech God to raise up workers who will take God's compassion to the world. What does beseech mean? It means to pray with urgency. Right? It's like begging and pleading desperately, asking God to do something urgently. So as believers, we're to be so aware of the desperate need of people that we're to pray desperately that God would do something about it. And how does God do something about it? By raising up his people to do something about it. By raising up workers to do something about it. So we're to pray, God, raise up Christians and send them out into the harvest. And I would say that that prayer, you can pray it all day long and you can mean it, but it will lack a level of sincerity unless you're willing to be one of the ones that is raised up and sent. For that prayer to really have teeth, you got to pray it the way Isaiah prayed it. He didn't just say, send someone. 
He says, send me. Right? So pray urgently, knowing that maybe God is going to tap you on the shoulder, raise you up, and send you out. So show compassion by praying for yourself and for Christians to do the work of the harvest and lead people to know God is their good shepherd. So we go, we teach, we proclaim, we pray. Lastly, we serve. The prayer is that God would raise up what? Workers, right? Servants, and that's what a Christian is. That's what we are. We, we, we're so like living this entitlement society where we think, uh, no, I just sit back and God drops grapes into my mouth. Like, no, we are the bondservants of, of Christ. We're to be compassionate by serving God in the gospel and, and having people being aware to their needs. And so that's why at Anthem Church, we adopted Andrew Elementary. And so we do as much as we possibly can there to serve and to be helpful. So this week and next week, there's an opportunity to proctor. And it's needed. It's needed. That's why we do the free yard sale here once a year. And that takes work. There's planning, organizing, getting the donations, putting them all in, in the rows where they need it, hosting the events. It's why we serve here on Sunday mornings. Like Sunday mornings, this isn't our evangelistic strategy, right? But it is part of it. We want the doors open. We want people to come. So people sing and play instruments, and people preach, and people pray, and people run the op tech booth, and we have host team, and the place is clean when we get here, and we have children's ministry. Why? We're serving God. We're serving one another, right? But anyone new comes up in our community, we're serving them. This is what it means to show compassion. Go, teach, proclaim, pray, and serve. If you have received the compassion of God, open up your eyes to the needs and go teach, proclaim, pray, and serve. There's a, an old story. It goes a little like this. There's a, a newly appointed pastor at a church, and he's standing by the window in his study, and he's looking out into the town, the city, where he has his new pastorate. And he's weeping. He's just weeping over the city. Weeping over, over the people. Just completely overwhelmed by the people who are distressed and dispirited. Afflicted and they're suffering. And he's crying over them. And one of the people in the church just happens to walk by. The door was open. Happens to walk by and looks in and sees the pastor just like overcome. And so this church person goes to their young idealistic pastor and tries to console him. And says, don't worry, after you've been here a while, you'll get used to it. And the po pastor responded, yes, I know, that's why I'm crying. See, th the reality is that the reason why we're so unaffected by the suffering of others is because we've gone used to it. Because at the end of the day, we know people are struggling, right? We know the abuse and the addictions and the brokenness out there and the heartache that's going out there. We know that people are worrying and they're fearful. But that's the new norm. So we're callous to it. And what we need is for God to reawaken us, to give us eyes by which to actually see people the way that he does, that we may see them as sheep without a shepherd. What we need for God to open our eyes. We need for God to send us. We need to go out and teach, and we need to go out and proclaim. We need to pray. We need to serve. We need to show compassion just like Jesus had compassion for us. So where do you stand this morning? 
Are you a sheep without a shepherd? Well, this morning, God can be your shepherd. You, get, you accept the gospel, right? Jesus hasn't left us naked, cold, and hungry. He didn't leave us out in the dark or hopeless or helpless. He gave us life on the cross that we may enter into God's green pastures. So if that's you, just embrace Jesus. Put your faith in him and commit your life to follow hard after him. And if you are a follower, what do you do? Man, help corral other sheep into God's pasture. Show compassion. And I'm just going to give you a moment just to sit quietly and bow your heads and close your eyes and, and just to reflect on what it is that you need to pray to God and confess to him. Is there anything you need to repent of? Lack of compassion, self-focus. Today, today, you need to embrace Jesus for the first time. Who are those people that God is placing in your heart right now that you're supposed to go and point them to Christ? Lord, Father, I confess that we have grown used to the suffering in this world, Lord. And as a result, our compassion is turned off. We've been desensitized to the affliction around us. On top of that, Lord, we focus on our own, thinking we're the only ones going through trials and Lord I ask and I beg that you would bring a deep conviction among your people Lord that you would raise us up and that you would give us eyes to see and may we be overcome with pity and with sympathy Lord with a desire to want to alleviate the suffering of our neighbor. Lord, I pray that you would bring conviction to us to reschedule our lives and to change our calendar if need be, Lord. We're so distracted by the busyness of the world. I pray for us in this room, Lord, that we would be sheep with a shepherd protected and provided, cured, lying in green pastures. And I pray, Lord, that we would go and that we would teach, that we would proclaim, that we would pray, that we would serve to honor your, your name, Lord, and to help others into your good graces. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Let's stand and close in song.